This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. When I was a teenager, I struggled with some hesitancy. I lacked confidence. I've always had an introverted aspect to my personality, but I remember those teenage years being exceptionally difficult to navigate because in my feelings of inadequacy, I also had this tension because there were a couple of places in my life where I, where I had this overconfidence about things, and it, it was difficult for me to navigate. I remember a, a very specific time in my life when I... I was hearing about events and teams and organizations and clubs and uh, all kinds of things happening at school. And I, I kept thinking of, of many of them. I would love to be a part of that. And I would see the sign-up sheet on, on the bulletin board at my high school and, and feel like I really, I really want to be a part of that. And, and part of me was, was wanting to know what my, what, what my identity was going to be like through those years. What, what, what group am I going to be associated with? What thing am I going to start doing that will become a part of my life? And, and I, I wanted so much to, to go up and put my name down to sign up for tryouts. But then I started thinking about that word, tryouts. And, and I, I knew that after tryouts would be posted a list of those who were good enough and those who weren't enough. And the thought of having my name on the list of those who weren't enough crippled me. Not so much that the feeling of rejection, but adding to that feeling of rejection, the recognition from all of my friends and classmates that my name was on that list of extending myself and letting people know, here's something that I want. Here's something that I'm interested in, only to have it pushed out of my reach. The, the thought of that, what was, was difficult for me. And, and I chose to exclude myself from things that I wanted to be a part of because I lacked confidence. Isn't, isn't that sad? I look back on those years and I, I want to encourage my young self. I want to go back and say, just, just put your name down and, and try one. See that the process isn't what you've made it to be in your mind. But I couldn't at that time overcome that. I'd like to say, now that I'm an adult, I don't deal with that stuff anymore. I feel confident. I feel like I can, I can just put myself out there and I don't worry so much about what people think. But why don't we all be honest? In each of our lives, there's still that, that deep-seated feeling of inadequacy, isn't there? Of uncertainty. Where we want to be confident, we're, we're not. And at the same time, across Across our personality, there's this other force of overconfidence, of arrogance sometimes that just clashes with that. And and we see how detrimental each of those sides are. And we hope for something in the middle, a place of confidence, a place of strength, where our feet are planted on a firm foundation, where our soul is anchored in such a way that we we move forward with this, this peace and confidence that is supplied to us from, from somewhere else. Because we know within us, our emotions ebb and flow from day to day, let's say from moment to moment. And what we want to be stable is volatile. 
the way that we find that place of confidence is by surrendering to the Lord. In Christ, we can have absolute confidence. And we trust him and, and devote our lives wholeheartedly to a pursuit of his will and his way. We, we're filled with the confidence that empowers our decisions, carries us through every difficulty that we face when we encounter discouragement. And it will come. When we find ourselves discouraged, we know that his confidence will meet us there. When we face temptation, and it comes, his confidence meets us there. When we face opposition and difficulty, yes, his confidence meets us there, providing a firm place to put our feet, anchoring our souls to him so that we can have this unchanging base to move forward from. That's what we find in Christ. And that's where we find ourselves in the message that John wrote in, in, to, his, to the believers, pardon me. That's, that's what John was writing in, in his letter in 1 John to the believers around him. You ever have a phrase just kind of get stuck in your brain? It happened at welcome time. It's happening again. There's something, something in here that's just not quite clicking today. John was writing to provide confidence to his, to his readers about what they had in Christ, what they could move forward from with Christ in their hearts, that they could have this confidence. And as we turn to John, 1 John chapter 5, we'll begin hearing these words. We're going to begin in verse 1. If you have a Bible, please turn there with me. The words will be on the screen. If you want to use the YouVersion app, open up the app, search under events for Parkview Finley, and you'll find scripture and sermon notes there in the YouVersion app as well. Let's read together. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Here is where confidence comes from. We, are, we have confidence because of God's love for us, poured out through Jesus Christ. That's, that's the source of our confidence. It's, it's a confidence that, that we discover because God loves us, because God loves us so much that he was willing to meet us where we are, while we were still sinners, to send Christ to die for us before we were ready to turn our hearts to him. He poured out his love for us to give us the opportunity to come to him. And there he is as a loving father, embracing us, inviting us to be a part of his family, saying, you matter. You, there's so, I value you so much. I want you to be one of my children. I want to adopt you as a son, as a daughter in my family. That's what, that's what God's love tells us. And it reminds us that because we are a part of the family of God, we, we can count on being heirs co-heirs with Christ. And we can also count on the family resemblance. Now, most of you know my boys, they're teenagers, and heaven help them, they cannot deny the fact that I'm their dad. They look like me, they talk like me, a little, a little bit like their mom too, but most of it's like me, they stand like me, they move like me, they react to things like I do. And they know and I know, and you know they're mine. 
because we belong to God, because we're his children. We share a family resemblance. And everything that we, we know about God, we know that there are some of his qualities that are passed to us because we're created in his image. There are some of his qualities that are imparted to us as believers with the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And because God is love, that family resemblance shows up in our lives. We reflect the love of God because we belong to him. That, that's what John is telling us, that, that God is love. And, and as Christians, we are, we are love too. We're not as, as love as God is love, but we are still a reflection of his love. And the way that we treat each other should reflect the character and quality of God. And our response to God is a decision to love. Well, think about that. How do we love God? John says we love God by obeying his commands. Now let's think about having like the, the kids that we have. Most of you have children. You know what it's like to raise them up and teach them to obey. When your kids start to listen to your voice and respond, they do so for different reasons. Sometimes their motivation is fear. If I don't listen, I'm going to get punished. And so, yeah, I'll do what you say. Sometimes it's out of respect. We say what we want for them to do, and they go, well, okay, you have authority over me. I respect your authority. I'll just do that. Sometimes it's because they don't have anything better to do. All right. What we want for our kids is to love us enough that they will trust what we say and do what we say. They know that we love them. They know that we want what's best for them. And, and when they, they operate their lives based off of that understanding, I know that you love me, and so because I love you, I'm going to do what you say. That's what we hope for them. This is what John is telling us should be the product of our relationship with God, that we would obey him because we love him, because we want our lives to be a loving expression of worship to him. And so we obey as an act of love. And that's the way it should be. An expression of love to our Father because we trust him and we know that he wants what's best for us, that he has our best intentions in mind and that his will for us is good. And it's not burdensome. Why is it we think that obeying God is a burden? It's, it's, it's taking on all of these commandments, all of these laws, all of these rules and measuring life and making sure we're, we're counting and, and according to a standard, well, that, that we have to be so careful and critical and legalistic about what we're doing. John says, no, that's not what God intends for us. What God intends for us is to be obedient out of love, that we would live within the boundaries of his will, within the standards of, of his guidance, in freedom, in a loving relationship with him, not weighed down by that burden, but, but expressing his love, obeying his will because we love him so much. And, and we recognize that our motivation is going to be known. Our hearts betray us. They, they reveal where our motivation comes from, and they reveal what it is that we truly love. And, and people look into our lives, they can see in us what, what really is the thing that we love the most. Do we, do we love ourselves the most? Are we living to pursue our desires and fulfill our own urges? Do we love the world? Are we pursuing all the things that the world has to offer? Or do we love God and we've surrendered our heart to him and we're, we're living invested in him? That's what our hearts reveal by our actions and our desires. And John says that that motivation is a, is a place of confidence. We'll respond to God in love and, and, and do what he 
tells us to do. Obedience. It's, it's a confidence that comes from God's love for us. And it's a confidence that helps us understand how to overcome the world. 1 John 5, 4 and 5 in the New Living Translation say it like this. Every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And so we ask ourselves, what does victory mean? What does overcoming the world mean? What does it, what does it mean for us to, to have all of this hinging upon our, our belief that Jesus is the Son of God? The first thing I think of is temptation. We overcome our battle with this world when we face temptation. And we're given confidence to navigate that and come out on the other side. And John's been talking about those temptations, lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the, the pride of life, the things that are going to draw our hearts away from God, these, these things that Satan is going to throw into our path to tempt us and pull us away from the Lord. And we can overcome this struggle, this battle with the things of this world, when our hearts are invested in Christ, when we, when we truly believe he is the son of God and live for him, we're given confidence that helps us turn our backs on those temptations, to step around those things that Satan throws into our life, knowing that we love God more then we want those things to be a part of our lives. That's really what we're getting down to. Jesus is God. And because of his power, because of the love that he's expressed to us, because of the love that we have for him, we recognize how much greater that is than any desire that we could pursue. And it drives us to a place of confidence to stand in the face of temptation and have victory over the allure of sin. I, I think of temptation. I also think of purpose. We live our lives according to our own purpose. And what, what do we do? We work and we earn and we save and we provide. And we get to the end of that existence. And what have we done? We've survived. That's, that's what we find when we live by our own power, by our own purpose. When we live our lives under the belief that Jesus is God, it elevates us to a different plane of living. A life that is truly life is what Jesus would say, where we see his kingdom overlaid. We see a purpose in him that's greater than anything we could accomplish on our own. And we're driven to overcome, to have victory for him in the things that we do and to not be distracted from our purpose by the things of this world. That's victory. I think of morality. I think of temptation. I think of purpose. I think of morality. When I hear these words, overcome this world, that's one of the things that comes to mind. We live in a time where morality is a struggle. We worry about the direction our culture is going. We watch elections. We see legislation, laws being passed, and we think about the next generation, and it creates such discomfort, uncertainty, and fear about what they're going to have to face in this world. And that's difficult. And it feels like a battle that we're losing. And what I have to do is to remember that Jesus is God, sovereign, most high. And it's not my responsibility to determine where those moral boundaries exist. It's my responsibility 
to trust that God is going to place his moral boundaries in the world. And what I need to do is to obey him because I love him. Now, that's easy to say. But the, the, the thing that has to happen in, in my life is I need to allow him to change my perspective. The perspective that he has ultimate authority. And then when I surrender that struggle to him, he will claim the victory. And I can let go of my need to demand agreement and surrender my life and live for him within the boundaries that I know he's already placed. I also have to remember that this struggle, this battle, I'm not fighting against people because it often feels that way. We personify this, this struggle. We see a, a figurehead, a politician, something, and, and, or maybe even a, a relative or friend who holds different views. And I see this as a personal battle I need to fight. But Christ is calling me to see every person I encounter as someone who needs him. And instead of arguing with him, that person over boundaries, over where the flag needs to be placed in the sand, what I need first to do is to turn their hearts toward the Lord and help them see their need for Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And the difficulty that we're facing is that we're, we're arguing with people trying to, to have them commit to boundaries that are, that are given to us in Scripture by a God that they don't believe in. We're having people try and commit to boundaries that are given to them by a God that they don't have a relationship with. And before they can even understand why those boundaries need to be there, first they need to understand why they need Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And as they begin their relationship with him, they'll then discover that his way is best, that he has their best interest at heart, that living according to the boundaries, biblical standards that we have, that we find peace, we find harmony, we find purpose for our lives greater than any other thing that we could struggle and strive for. And when we advocate for biblical standards in this world, the success comes when we make a difference in the hearts of people to begin changing the world. When we, we turn people to the Lord to help them understand how important it is for them to step within those boundaries that God has already placed in the world. Yes, we want to make a difference. Yes, we want to provide a positive world to live in for our children. But we need to do so not only by choosing the right place to, to, to plant our flag and take a stand, but to do so with the hearts of the world in mind, turning people to the Lord so that they'll understand the value of the argument that we're making. And we see John talking about the significance of Honoring Jesus as God, as he's been talking about light and love and truth, understanding the fullness of the identity of Jesus Christ is critically important for every aspect of our lives. John continues his message in verse 6. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar, because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. John is providing a, a base of understanding. 
a confidence that what we believe is true. And he does so by providing the testimony of evidence. Now remember, John is writing to a very specific group of people who are battling this also very specific vein of false teaching that is pulling people away from the Lord, pulling people away from the church, pulling people away from their faith. And so he's addressing this foundation of truth that's being eroded by lies. And, and this teaching involves Gnosticism, a, an intellectual relationship with God that denies Jesus as fully God, that changes the way Christians live their lives based off that, that intellectual relationship. And so John is addressing that specifically saying, okay, let, let's just return to what's important. Jesus is God. And here's how we know it. God's testimony is provided through this evidence, the spirit, water, and blood. How do we see that happen? In the birth of Jesus? We're getting close to Christmas season. We're going to talk about this narrative story of Jesus' birth. What happened when the angel appeared to Mary? The angel said, the Holy Spirit's going to come and produce in you this baby. And it will be of the Spirit. The, The birth will be natural. The conception, supernatural. And so we have the Spirit involved. And this natural birth includes blood and water. I don't want to get into those details, but just understand Spirit, blood, and water are all present in the birth of Jesus. We fast forward to the baptism of Jesus. And he's there with John, immersed in the the River Jordan. And the Spirit of God descends like a dove, and God's voice proclaims, This is my Son, whom I love, in him I'm well pleased. And we see the Spirit and water, evidence, proclaiming Jesus. And then we move forward to the death of Jesus on the cross. His blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. He's hanging there, cries out and releases his spirit to God. And a soldier stabs him in the side with a spear, and out of that wound, blood and water flow. This death that claims victory over sin and death. And we see these pieces of evidence giving us confidence that what we believe about Christ is true that in him is life, a life that is eternal, and it's found in him alone. Verse 13, we continue. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. That's confidence. Now, we, as we pray, rarely think about what it means for us to approach God Almighty in conversation. You think about that. We pray all the time, without ceasing, in every situation. That's the way we're supposed to pray. We don't consider what we're wearing when we pray. We don't consider our posture or position when we pray. We don't consider all the other things that we're doing while we're praying. They're very often is an irreverent way to to stand before the throne of God Almighty. You think about what John's words meant to the the Christians of the day, many of whom had this this Jewish descent. They were the people of Israel. And when we think back into the Old Testament, and and we remember the story of Esther, who went before the king of Persia to to plead for the, the, the sake of her people. And she went uninvited into the throne room to stand before the king. And what was that risk? She put her very life on the line. If the king didn't want to talk to her, she would be executed for standing before him uninvited. Instead, he extended his scepter 
inviting her to speak and sparing her life, we get to stand in front of the throne of God Almighty, King of Kings. We don't have to be afraid for our lives. We don't have to be afraid of his majesty and power, although it still is present. We have been given through Christ access to God as our Father to just talk with him, to approach his throne and tell him about our day. We move into the, into, into the Old Testament when the, the people of Israel were, were traveling and they built the tabernacle. Was, they wanted to come into the presence of God and if they wanted that to, to go before him and pray, what had to happen before they came into his presence? The priest had to make sacrifices to cleanse them of their sins so they could come before him unafraid. And Jesus, as our high priest, has given us access to the presence of God by sacrificing himself, by placing his righteousness on us, cleansing us and making it possible for us to be in the presence of God. And in Christ, we find this confidence to approach God Almighty with every worry, with every fear, with every request that we might have. And what do we know? We know that he hears us. And we know that when we pray according to his will, we have confidence when we pray. Have you ever, have you ever felt like God isn't listening to your prayers? You ever felt like God isn't answering you when, you when you ask things of him? And you've had some heavy burdens to ask. You've made some, some demands and wondered, where is God? Why? Why? Why, is, why don't I feel like he's even listening? John says that, that if we want to have confidence when we approach the throne of God in prayer, we need to pray according to his will. And that's a difficult thing for us to do. To, to talk to God and to remove our desires from that conversation. Yes, we, we're, we're free to tell God all the things that we're thinking, all the things that we're wanting, all those desires. But when we make requests of God, what we need to do is to remove our desire from, from what it is that we're asking for so that what we're asking for is according to his will. So we, we, come, before, we come before the throne of God and sometimes all we do is ask for what we want. Here's what I want life to look like for me. I want some peace. I want you to deal with this guy I'm dealing with at work. Just, just remove that headache for me, please. I want some peace. And we're driven by our desire when we approach God. Sometimes we ask for good things to happen, but still the motivation is our desire. Maybe you've had a, a loved one who, who struggled with a chronic illness and you've prayed to God to relieve their pain. You've prayed to God to, to spare their lives so that, so that you and I can have more time with them here on earth. Those are our desires. When we pray those things, we're driven by our desires. We, we rarely consider, what, God, what is, what, what is it that you're doing? What is your timing? What is your will for this? This is what I want, but what do you want? It's a difficult place for us to get to in prayer where we, where we seek God's will above our desires, where we ask for God to answer our prayers according to his will. That's the first step. To say, God, I, here's, here's what I want to have happen. If it's, if it's your will, I'd, I'd love to see this done. And, and in the process of that, we, we learn about his will as we receive 
answers. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Then we get to a place where where we begin to understand his will more. And and our prayers then become, God, help help me understand more about your will. Help me see what it is you're doing in this situation. Help me understand your timing. Because I don't. And God begins to align us with his will and his way. God begins to to turn our hearts to, to an understanding of what it is that he's doing. And then our prayers expand. As we invite God not only to, to help us understand what he's doing, but, but we surrender ourselves to be a part of what he's doing in the world around us. God, help me, help me to accomplish your will. Help me to be a part of what you're doing in the lives of people around me. And we discover how God's not only hearing our prayers, but answering our prayers clearly because instead of pursuing what we want, we're pursuing what he wants. We're demonstrating our love for him by trusting him, his wisdom, his timing, his guidance, to sovereignly lead us and guide us through life. That's the confidence we have in prayer, to approach God and to know that he hears us and answers our prayers. There's one last bit of confidence that John reminds us of in this last section of scripture beginning in verse 16. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue in sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe. The evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. And John reminds us of the confidence that we have in salvation which is critically important to our walk with Christ. Have you ever gotten to a place where you you worry about where you're going to go when you die? You've been uncertain, afraid? I have. I've talked with people about that. I've talked with my kids about that, about the, the, the place that we come to. Not because we doubt the power of the blood of Christ to cleanse our sins, because we doubt ourselves, because we know how wrong we are, and we worry that that wrong is going to disqualify us. And what we need to be reminded of is the power of the blood of Jesus Christ that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins, that that grace is stronger, strong enough to cover every sin, and that our salvation is determined by our relationship with Jesus Christ by accepting him as Lord and Savior and allowing him to forgive our sin, surrendering that sin, repenting of that sin, being cleansed in the water of baptism, letting our old self die and being raised to new life and that in him we live. And yes, we'll make mistakes. Yes, we will sin, but we surrender those to the Lord in repentance and we live in his grace. That relationship with Jesus is what determines our destination. Yes, the things that we do matter. But we cannot forget the power of the blood of Christ. That's why this teaching from John is so important, that Jesus is the Son of God. When we forget that, we weaken the power of Christ in our lives. We dilute the power of the blood. We dismantle the power of the cross. 
It is in Him that we have confidence for salvation. It is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that we find eternal life. And we have confidence. And yet we worry. And we come to a passage in Scripture that is troubling. John writes this. When you, when you have a brother and sister who, who sins, pray for them. Encourage them. Help them overcome that sin and repent. And turn, re, turn to God. Turn their hearts to God and leave that sin behind. And then he says this horrible thing. Don't worry about the sin that leads to death, though. Don't pray about that. What? What do we do with that? How do we understand? How, what? There, are, there are passages in Scripture that are absolutely bewildering. I, I, I want to just encourage you with the fact that when I read the Bible, sometimes I have no idea what, what to do. The first thing we need to do, though, when we encounter something like this that is troubling and confusing, we need to examine it according to the context of Scripture. Expand our reading. Expand our search. Where else in the Bible is this kind of thing talked about? How can we, how can we come to a definition of what it is that we're, we're understanding here? Well, in the Gospels, Jesus talks about a sin that leads to death, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. When you attribute to the Holy Spirit the things of Satan, that's a sin that leads to death. In, in the book of Hebrews, we read about believers who are living in grace, living in a relationship with Jesus by the power of his blood, who then turn their backs on Jesus and, and because of the allure of sin, begin living in sin, for sin, surrendering their hearts to this desire. That's sinfulness that leads to death. And so what John tells us is this, when you see someone doing wrong, pray for them. When you see someone's heart being pulled away from the Lord, pray for them. When that someone you see is you, this isn't what John says, but this is true. Know that other people are praying for you and you should also be praying about that wrong so that, so that your heart will return to the Lord. So you will find life in him again. And that you won't, like the, the people in Hebrews, trample the blood of Christ underfoot and fall away from the Lord. That you'll find repentance and healing by the blood of Christ. And John concludes this writing. This is the end of 1 John with this phrase. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. These are his closing words. This is like what you say to your kids when they go off to college. You say goodbye, I love you, I hug you, tears. And then what, what's that last thing you say? Be careful. Watch out for deer. Don't do anything that I wouldn't do. Really, Dad? Okay, don't do anything that I actually did when I was your age. We have these important words that we want to share with our kids that, that will help guide them on their journey. And, and John writes these last words, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. What is he talking about? Well, prevalent in his day were these figures that people would, would turn their hearts from God and begin to worship these, these stone, wooden images of something that someone said was God. They would literally, what God says, prostitute themselves, be seduced by this and surrender their hearts to something else and betray God. And John says, this is important. Keep yourselves from idols. Now, today we don't see those figures that we want to give our hearts to. But there are many things in this world that are pulling our hearts away from God. Wealth. Success. Sports. Sports. 
a desire to be approved and affirmed in a relationship with a parent, with a spouse, with a boyfriend or girlfriend, chasing after, giving our hearts to a person, letting them steal from God the affection and connection that, that he deserves. There are so many things that claim what God deserves from our hearts. And if we hear John's voice, we hear him say this. <laughs> Don't let your heart be pulled away from God. Don't let desire reign where love should be your guide. Keep yourself from idols.